Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Patty Vest. And I'm Mark Wood. This season on SageCast, we're discussing mentoring stories with one of students, professors, coaches, and staff who work closely together in the classroom, in the lab, and in the field. Let me introduce today's guests. Kara Whitman, Director of College Writing and Assistant Professor of English here at Pomona. And Ahana Ganguly, Class of 2021, an English major who works with Kara at the Writing Center. Welcome, Kara and, and Ahana. Thank you. Thank Good to have you with us. Um, Kara, can you start us off <clears throat> with just an overview of the Writing Center? Um, you know, its history, its mission, how it works. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think of it as the writing program because it's a it's a it's a constellation of, of programs. Um, and it's, you know, in the in the in the language, actually, that the college presented to me before I came here, they talked a lot about creating a culture of writing, um, which I've now added a culture of speaking. And as my students know, I also talk about as a culture of listening and and reading, um, which means that all of these parts of the of the or all the stars in the constellation are are important together. One of those is the ID One program that I oversee, which is students' first experience with mm -hmm. the kind of like rhetorical situation of college and and writing for that. Um, another part of it is that we have these writing intensive requirements and I work with faculty to think about what it means to write after your first year, but the nerve center of all of it really is the writing center. And that's the, the physical space is located in Smith campus center. And it's the place where I really see as a place that is of the community by the community and for the community. Um, that's a, it's a, it's a student space, um, it predates me. I, I've only been here since 2016. Um, and I think the Writing Center f was first created in the early 2000s. I'm not going to give you a date because I got it <laughs> wrong. Um, and immediately was, I mean, it, you know, everything as I'm seeing now with the speaking partners, there's always a, there's always a ramp, mm -hmm. an on-ramp, but was, was immediately something that was necessary. And actually Pomona was, was fairly late to the, to the game in terms of having a writing center. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> I know they had other ways of, of the, the teaching and learning committee has been very active in all of this and ID one has been around since the eighties. Um, but the actual writing center is, is relatively new and it, what that space is, is a place for students really so that students don't have to write alone. Um, mm -hmm. there's a long history of writing centers having a kind of complicated and it, and it continues to be a complicated relationship with institutions because they are co-curricular. Um, right. they don't offer grades. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> and students just because of the culture of the academy and because of lore, um, and just ways of thinking about writing and the anxiety that surrounds writing can think, you know, that's a place where I go because I lack something that's mm -hmm. where I go Remedial. because there's something right. wrong, yeah. which is a complete misapprehension. And really when you start looking at the way people write, and this is something we could be a lot more transparent about as faculty members, no one writes alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my partner as a professor and we almost daily are reading each other's work. And so that's what mm -hmm. we're creating on campus is a space where students don't have to write alone where they can come and write together and, and communicate together and be critical of that process also. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What are we participating in? Ahana, how did you become involved with the Writing Center and what's your role there? Um, so right now I'm both a writing partner and a speaking partner. Um, and the reason that I got involved is because I took an ID1. Um, and at the time, the process for um, nominations and applications was that uh, the ID1 professor would select students from the class and nominate them and then um, ask them to apply. Um, and so that's how I ended up being a part of the Writing Center. Um, I don't think I would have <laughs> um, applied otherwise, mm -hmm. um, but I'm so glad I did. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Carol, let's let's back up and uh, ask you to talk about your background. Um, you know, how did you get into academia and how did you find your way to Pomona and to the Writing Center in particular? Oh, goodness. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> as far as you want to go. When I was born. This is, <laughs> this is, this is for the parents. <laughs> Let's not do grandparents. Um, okay? how, did I, how did I get here? Uh, I, it's funny. I was actually just just telling Ahana the story of my dorm life at my first inst undergraduate institution, which was brief. Um, <laughs> academia is, it, it wasn't, um, when I, when I talk to students about like, what does your life look like after college? One of the things I try to emphasize is that you, you want it to be a hallway where you leave the doorway at one end and you can see the doorway at the other end. And that's like the door to the rest of your life. And it's a straight corridor. It is not a straight <laughs> corridor and it hasn't been one for me. Mm -hmm. I have always worked in communication. This part of it is something that people could have predicted, although I not, couldn't necessarily have predicted that I would be doing this, but even when I was in high school, um, I was working, both of my parents are educators. And so I, I was, I was involved in, um, my mother's work, for example, with, with international students at mm -hmm. her institution. Uh, when I started in college, I went to the university of Kansas and I was there for a year and a half and then for a host of complicated reasons mm -hmm. left. Um, and at that time I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do, but I do remember that the, the one conversation I remember right around the time that I may or may not have dropped out, um, was with an English professor who mm -hmm. said, I said, I think I'm going to drop out. And this English professor said, you 100% should drop out. You're doing great here. You should drop out. <laughs> um, and it was because he, he too was kind of like, there are so many ways to go about this. And if you are feeling like you want to, you know, explore and learn and, and for whatever other reasons, go do that. Um, and so during that time in the, in the gap in my undergraduate education, one of the things I did is work as a literacy. I, mo I moved. Mm -hmm. I put all my belongings in my Plymouth K car, <laughs> drove across the country to... A place, this is exactly how scientific it was. I looked at the map. I was in Kansas. I, I grew up in Kansas. And it was raining. It rained for the, the entire spring in Kansas. I was working two jobs, just trying to save up enough money to leave. I mm -hmm. worked from 10 o'clock at night, grave, the graveyard shift, 10 at night oh. to 6 in the morning at Perkins Family Restaurant and Bakery. <laughs> <laughs> and then I worked from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. at oh Joe's Bakery. Um, so I was also <laughs> wow. a little sleep deprived. <laughs> And mm -hmm. just trying to save up enough money. And then I put my belongings in my K car, looked at the map and said, where is it not raining? I have to go somewhere <laughs> where it doesn't rain. And that was the desert. So I moved uh -huh. to Arizona. Good choice. Just because it was there and because I imagined <laughs> there was it, didn't, no rain. it didn't rain. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There I worked as a literacy volunteer um, and I worked for the Sierra Club. And I also was a bartender. I mean, that's how I was making money. I bartended for, for a long time. And then there was a moment when I decided that I, I, I wanted to go back to college. Mm -hmm. um, and, and did. And I went to Arizona State University because it was there. And because I, by that time, had earned in-state tuition. And so I could afford it. It's still no rain. And still no rain. <laughs> it was still there. It was not raining. I had a bartending job, which it turns out it's really lucrative. Not that I'm suggesting any students do that. Um, <clears throat> Good tips. But you do make money. <laughs> and when I went back to college, I was just all in. And I thought it was great. And I was so excited to be there. And I had taken classes at a community college in Spanish and in photography. But when I went back to, to college, I decided that what I wanted to be was a plant biology um, oh. major, uh -huh. mm -hmm. partly because I'd spent so much time outdoors because it doesn't rain in the desert. And I just thought this is, I want to study <laughs> plant biology mm -hmm. and I did, and I loved it. And I was also taking English classes because again, like the writing, the language, all of that has just been there. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point it came, I, I, I wanted to graduate. <laughs> 
finally, <laughs> and and settled on English. But the other part of the story is that I was in a, a class, actually, that was um, taught by the chair of the plant biology department, who was also my advisor, and it was called Origins, Cosmic and Biological, just, and it was a graduate class that I'd sort of sweet-talked my way into, and the premise of the class was that someone from all all the different disciplines in the sciences, each week we would have someone come in and say, this is how my discipline or my part of the sciences understands the origins of life on on Earth. And then it was fascinating. We mm-hmm. had you know we had people talking about like the moon and comets and RNA and but the my instructor um, Kenneth Huber started the class by saying we're going to survey all of these different theories of the origin of life, but it may not be a scientist who actually figures this out because we may not be able to tell the right stories. We may not have the right language for it. And that was pretty mind blowing for me because Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, hold on. Wait, this is this other thing I've been doing over here. (laughs) Anyway, I ended up as an English major. And when I went to graduate school, I was really committed um, to two things figuring out how to make my degree in English work with my interest in science in Mm -hmm. graduate school and to opening a school. I had no sense that I was going to become a professor. I wanted to open a school Mm -hmm. because I wanted to teach an interdisciplinary. I just thought we were, this disciplinary silo thing wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe I'll Mm -hmm. open my own school. But I wanted to get the PhD because I thought doing that rigorous research, having that discipline would, should be part of that. That's the early part of the story. (laughs) I'm not sure how much more you want to know. (laughs) Um, well, talk to us about your interest in writing. Um, again, it's, it's, it's always been there, but what I found as I was, um, it, it turned out that I did in my in my PhD program find a way to synthesize the or to to my mm-hmm. some somewhat to my satisfaction to bring together the my interest in literature my interest in narrative storytelling mm-hmm. in writing and and my interest in science because what I worked on was the experience of wonder um, my my dissertation is on um, the philosophical and historical experience of wonder and the 19th century novel. And where that takes you is into, that took me into just thinking about this as a, as a formative, I mean, it's a, it's an old, old philosophical concept that wonder is the beginning of knowledge. And I was interested in how you represent that how you see that in writing, how mm-hmm. that's how that's making mm-hmm. it into novels, how people are engendering that experience in other people, which means I was looking at and thinking about writing and thinking about about narrative and also just naturally from that teaching, um, because there's so much of a relationship between the experience of wonder and the experience of and, and pedagogy and mm-hmm. and and paideia, right, as the mm-hmm. as the in the in the Greek, um, like the full experience of engendering that wonder in others. Um, so that's, that's really was the kind of, um, lever that got me into thinking more about writing, but, but writing, I started teaching. I was, I was asked to teach in my fifth year of graduate school or sixth, so many years. (laughs) Um, I was asked to teach the PhD course for the incoming PhD students, that was the pedagogy course that was going to train them to teach the first year writing courses. And um, I did that with Andrea Lunsford, who was my mentor, but she was very busy and very famous and she was never around. And so it was just me teaching the course. And that was a different experience for me, teaching teachers, um, thinking about writing in that way. Mm -hmm. And that kind of launched a different part of my career and is finally how I ended up here doing what I do. But if you look at the whole thing, even though it's not been a straight corridor, mm-hmm. it still turns out that I'm working at the intersection of the disciplines and I'm thinking about storytelling. Mm-hmm. So the the passions that were there 
did lead you somewhere. It's just it wasn't a straight line. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the seeds that I put in my garden that don't necessarily grow the first year, and I forget that they're there. And then two years later, there's a little sprout, and I think, well, I wonder what, what that, that was. <laughs> yeah. And the school looks different. The school that you thought you were going to open is yeah. just... The school yeah. looks different. Yeah. The school looks different. Yeah. It's, a, it's a little more well-funded than my school would have been. <laughs> it helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you guys met and how did that relationship evolve into one of uh, mentoring? I'm going to let you take that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, the first time that we met was at my interview when I interviewed for the Writing Center. Mm-hmm. I thought she was very intimidating. Because <laughs> 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 um, she kind of just like sits and like will look at you. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, what is she thinking? She's not yeah, telling exactly. me everything. Um, <laughs> like, not immediately easy to read, but, um, yeah. And then, so I ended up taking, there's an intro course that you have to take if you're a writing partner mm-hmm. um, called English 87. Um, and I opted for the full credit version because there's a full credit and a half credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the class, um, especially because um, part of the full credit requirement is that you're supposed to write um, like a reasonably long paper. Um, Mm -hmm. and the prompt was pretty open, which I Mm -hmm. always am enthusiastic about. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had this kind of strange idea that like doesn't totally, it's not totally an academic project. Um, but I was like, Hey, you know, there's this thing that I've been wanting to write. Um, would it be okay if I did that? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, and so we ended up like, I would go to her office hours and talk about what that would look like. Um, and so in the process of figuring that out, um, I was like, oh, she's great. <laughs> um, and then the following semester, we did an independent study um, that was an extension of the project that I did for my class in 87. For somebody who doesn't know what the writing center is, can you explain what a writing partner is? Yeah, sure. So um, writing partners are, and that that word choice is intentional, I think mm-hmm. pretty recent yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're there to be partners in the writing process, like right from the very beginning, if you're just starting to think about a paper, mm-hmm. if you don't even know how to start thinking about a paper, yeah. um, we will talk to you, ask you questions or listen to you and take notes. Um, and we'll help you think through all stages of the writing process, like editing. Um, we'll talk about grammar and punctuation. We'll talk about... Um, formatting structure, mm-hmm. even readings that I think the speaking partner program is is catering to that more now. Um, but readings for class, like if you're thinking about, um, you know, like how, how am I going to discuss this? How do I even form a thought about this? We'll help you through that too. So yeah, anything to do with writing. Uh, Hannah, um, can you, oh, do you have another question? No, go ahead. Yeah, no, the, um, can you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned about the writing process while while working in the writing center? Because I'm sure it's a learning process for you, too. It is. That's that's a big question because I've learned a lot. Um, it's been. Hmm. So I've enjoyed writing for a long time, mm-hmm. like since I was little, I would like write little. I, I lived in um, Hyderabad, which is in the south of India um, for a long time. Um, from when I was four to about when I was like 12-ish. Um, and Hyderabad is kind of in the perfect spot for really intense, beautiful sunsets because it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just close enough to, it's like in the subtropics, so like close-ish to the, equators, uh-huh. to the equator. And like it's just polluted enough that it's <laughs> really pretty. <laughs> 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 pollution, um, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what makes the colors nice. <laughs> Flaws are important for beauty, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I would sit and I'd be like, oh, the sunset is so pretty. And so I would write like little poems and um, um, like I would just be writing by myself for fun. Um, and that it, like writing has been a thing that I enjoy, but also a thing that I'm kind of neurotic about. Um, <laughs> it's like really... Um, in an unsustainable way. So like every time that I have to write a paper, um, it's just like, it's, it's an, it, it becomes a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, and especially after I declared English, I was like, okay, you know, writing is going to be a big part of my life. Like <laughs> I have to figure out how to 
like make it more of a an emotionally sustainable thing for me. <laughs> you can't tell, by the way, when you see when her writing. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I would never have guessed that this is the writing of someone who has had any anxiety about it. But that's the, that's yeah. the, that's the whole secret of writing that it, uh -huh. it, it is. It hides. It hides things <laughs> exactly. It hides all the other drafts of course before. It, does, yeah. it hides the the blood and sweat and tears. Yeah, and all of when the, it's like, done right. <laughs> Yeah, um, and there's other stuff that I, you know, like, um, my, the, the kinds of writing that I've done over the course of, you know, like, high school um, and in college, like, all of that has changed and impacted how I think about writing also, um, but you asked about the writing center, mm -hmm. and the reason that I told mm -hmm. that whole story is because um, it it is this, like, I get emotionally tangled up in, in the writing process, mine and other people's mm. um and so talking to other people about their writing has been really nice because I see other like people cry more <laughs> more than you'd expect in consultations it's it's an emotionally intense job to be talking to people about their writing and talking to people about how they feel as writers or using that label or going through any of the processes or like navigating like the sort of treacherous landscape mm -hmm. of academia um and talking to people and helping other people figure out their things has helped me figure out my things. Um, mm -hmm. And also step just back, right? kind of more like a step in. A yeah. And step in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like talking to people about how they feel when they're writing and seeing different processes. And also hearing, like somebody told me recently um, that their therapist told them that um, you know, like procrastination is part of their writing process and that they will stay up till or, you know, wait until close to the deadline to get mm -hmm. started and distracting themselves and, and sort of reading other things or doing other work to distract mm -hmm. themselves. Like mm -hmm. that's part of their process and they've sort of just accepted that now. Yeah. And so even, you know, it makes you think just getting so much exposure to different processes and different people and different kinds of thinking makes you realize that there's more than one way for, for everything, which is, has been really nice. Yeah, um, Mary Schmeek, who's a, an alum of Pomona, is a columnist at the Chicago Tribune, and she says her, her life's motto is, panic is my muse. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think every writer knows, has, that, has a little of that feeling that you try and you work, and, you, and then finally, when the, when the deadline gets close, suddenly suddenly something happens you know, because you're able to let go a little bit and just do it. Mm -hmm. uh, Hannah, you were telling us when you um, were at home, you would write about sunsets. Would you write with other people? Would you write by yourself? And how has that evolved and changed? It? So if, if you did it by yourself, um, how has that changed or evolved here yeah. at Pomona? Um, that's a great question because I writing was definitely a solitary thing for me mm -hmm. um, growing up. Um, we had a balcony and I would sit on the little ledge and monsoon is my favorite season. So when it was raining. I would sit out there and my notebook would get wet and it was like, <gasps> she likes rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I'm so poetic. Like, <laughs> look at my wet paper. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was a, definitely a solitary thing. Um, and then I'd sort of like be real concerned about all the words that I was putting down. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, it was also mostly a, like, narrative descriptive thing for me. So when I say I wrote poetry, um, I think the image that a lot of people have is, like, people writing about their feelings and, like, mm -hmm. oh, like this is my mm -hmm. heart-wrenching, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for me, it was really about, like, I want to describe things just the way that I want to describe them. Um, and I want to find what, like, what, you know, yeah, like, what feels matches what I like want to describe mm -hmm. um and having that be a solo thing a descriptive thing um that sort of stuck with me because I did journalism in high school um and I did a lot of it's funny being interviewed because I uh -huh. I enjoy interviewing other people but so that turned into more of a collaborative thing that sort of gave me an entryway into collab collaborative processes of editing, but still it felt like a, 
um, when I was in editor positions, it felt like I'm trying to move you towards a standard that we're trying to achieve mm-hmm. or a vision that we maybe collectively put together, but mm-hmm. it's still sort of a linear thing. Like we're trying to scooch it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, I think it's become more of a collaborative thing. Like just this last summer, um, I, a friend of mine and I got really close, mm-hmm. um, because we were paired together for, so at the very end of last semester for finals, um, our professor just paired us together, I think sort of randomly, um, for a peer review project. Um, and so we met up in the writing center to talk about our, uh, project, um, because we were supposed to give each other feedback Mm -hmm. and we ended up kind of sitting there for a couple hours and just (laughs) like talking about writing in general. And we were like, Oh, God, like why haven't we met because she's a senior um uh-huh. and she just graduated but over the summer we were like no no like um we're gonna stay in touch we're gonna write together and so having that has been really nice mm-hmm. um because um is that the person on your google doc yes I wonder who that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, saw, I saw the collaboration <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and it just turns out that we're so compatible as creative partners um, because when she read my work, she read it in exactly the way that I like to read other people's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that real close kind of, um, it felt like, oh, like this is, this makes sense. Like this is what writing, at least some of writing is supposed to look like. Um, and so bringing that, and then also like working, all of these things are kind of happening parallelly, which mm-hmm. is why it's like sort of confusing to try and lay out um but coming to that um collaborative moment with my writing has been good and and the writing center has been a really really big part of that um because when people when I talk to people about their writing I'm also talking about my writing Mm -hmm. um because we talk about method and we talk about I mean, even language, when it gets down to sentences and things, I listen to how other people choose their words um, and the ways that they come to their words. Um, and it just is is never like a solitary thing. Like, even if you are kind of sitting alone in a room writing, you're thinking about the conversations that you've had and you're thinking about the things that you've read. Like, you're just constantly in conversation inevitably. Um, and so working at the writing center just sort of makes that a little bit more apparent. Mm -hmm. Um, Kara, can you, from your perspective, can you, and I just hit my microphone, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen in Ahana's evolution as a writer and as a writing partner? Oh, goodness. Um, You know, it's hard to track things. This is the, (laughs) this is the hard thing about, writing, it's a hard thing about speaking is that it isn't linear mm-hmm. at all. And I think, you know, as Ahana put it so beautifully, there are versions of teaching writing, of editing, of understanding writing, where you feel like I'm at point A mm-hmm. and I'm going to move to point B. And it gets categorized in what I think are the damaging terms of like, I'm going to be bad and then I'm going to be good, mm-hmm. which is also, those are words that I actually tell the writing partners, like, we're not using those words. What does that even mean? Bad according to whom? Rather, you are always communicating effectively and beautifully. You've spent your life communicating effectively and beautifully. And we are going to give you more situations and more ways and more choices about how you can continue to communicate effectively and beautifully. And so, the process is really recursive. You're always looping back on yourself and saying, you know, these are the choices that I'm making. These are different choices I might make tomorrow, but then I might go back to the choices I made five years ago and find in them something I didn't see, which is all me talking around the sort of like, it's evolution in the sense of, of maybe change, but it's, it's more that, um, I just have gotten to know Ahana and the different writer she is in different ways and Mm -hmm. different situations. And so I've just seen more of her as a writer and um, writing to be critical, writing to describe, writing to narrate, 
Um, you know, the thing I just read of hers spends a long space talking about the way water moves on the floor of a bus. And like, I spent time with her then as reading that writing, you know, watching that water move across the floor on a, on a bus. And that's, um, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is that it's, it's, it's all there. I just get to see more of it and I mm -hmm. get to see it happen in different ways and, and for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, that's what I would say. That's what it, I mean, I have, I have a great job because I get, you know, I think about like every time a student, every time a student turns in writing to me, it's like they've put a very, very fragile glass sphere into my hands and I have to hold it and I have to see it for what it is. And I have to look at what's inside of it without breaking it. Um, and the more time I spend with students and the more of their writing they give me, the more, um, the more spheres or the more I see inside of that kind of. Mm -hmm. Glass shell. I get it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice leader. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot a little bit on, uh, we've talked a little bit about speaking partners. Um, uh, so I want to go into that a little bit. Um, Kara, do you want to tell us about the Writing Center now offering speaking partners? What does that, what does that mean? And then plans next year to add visual learning partners. What prompted this expansion? I've wanted to do this um, since I got here and and just needed the money and staff and <laughs> to do it. But the as I as I said earlier, you know, we can talk about writing, but we're also talking about reading, which means we're also and then and then because we're working with each other, because we're collaborating, it's also talking, it's also listening. We do we live in a we are multiliterate beings. Mm -hmm. We communicate in so many different ways. We communicate in gesture. We communicate in image. We talk to each other. And those are all cross-pollinating how we do these things. And so I I want that. That should be represented to me in the, in the center where we think about communication mm -hmm. on campus, not your communications, <laughs> but the, but the student space for communication. Um, and so that's one of the reasons, like what, what would it mean to make this really a multi-literacy center? Mm -hmm. And also because it's, it's fascinating in the 21st century that writing is in some ways moving closer to speaking in other ways, it's moving further away. We have different ways of communicating with each other. The, we are in image saturated environment, which has changed the way we read mm -hmm. and like the presence of these maybe more oral, but written forms like Twitter or like the whole world of emojis, which I think is fascinating. Um, like what do they even, what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, no one is moving in just a sort of, we're not in a, in a quill and papyrus world anymore. And so we need to think about communication differently. And we need, and I think we need to think about all these things together. And I really see the writing center as um as a space for critical pedagogy, where we are not just saying, oh, there's this unicorn called standard edited written English, and yeah. we all want to be like that unicorn because unicorns aren't real. We just hold them up as like aspirational in a very limited band. But instead to say, um, what are all the different languages we're speaking and how are they all part of this like fabric or this mesh and how can we draw on all of them and activate all of them at the same time and look critically at the way they interact and the ones that we are told not to speak or not to write and by whom and how is that like how are those moments when we see like the fingers of power pushing on our um lives and so speaking seemed like a natural place to go to, to start thinking really s deliberately about oral communication. Mm -hmm. And the first step, um, we got a grant, so we got money, um, which meant that I could afford to really start thinking about this. And, and so we, the first step seemed to be to create speaking partners. Um, and I've talked so long now that the beginning of the question, I have no idea what it was. <laughs> the expansion of the center. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so I'm talking. So <laughs> I think you covered it. I, but, um, 
Can you talk to us about that? I know you're still in the process of, of working through all of this and and there's a it's a work in progress with a lot of a lot of work ahead. But um, how do you see it working over time? Because as I think of the writing part of it, that's that has a framework that's sort of defined the students who um, will come because they want help with a certain project they're working on or um, and uh, and someone works with them through the project. How does that how does that function for speaking for visual? Um, I, I love the idea. I just I, I have, I'm trying to to visualize exactly how that works in Me in too. a center. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. No, actually, that's that's it's it's there. I mean, this is part of what's interesting about this whole where this comes from and 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 how I've been thinking about this is that it's once you start doing it, you realize, oh, this has always already been there. This the need for this. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to invent any wheels. It turns out that the questions that students have had about writing and the need to write with others and the need to think deliberately about how you're communicating on paper, it's they're the same questions that that students that we all have about speaking, mm -hmm. about how you prepare to talk, about giving presentations, but also just about like being in the world as a and communicating out loud. And sometimes especially that way, because and I'm very conscious of this right now, like you can't you say it out loud and then you like there's no eraser. <laughs> you can't do that. So actually, there is here, but uh, <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> but we don't mention that. <laughs> so it so it's actually it actually laid down very nicely into the grooves that had already been worn by the by the writing program. And so, you know, our speaking partners um, were just hired in August, August twentieth. I think we interviewed them, and and they. You sign up for speaking partners just the way you would sign up for a writing partner. And the, and there's sort of four things that I will say that, that four immediate reasons that I think a student would sign up for a speaking partner in the same way they would say, oh, I need a writing partner. Things like presentations. We give talks. We have to speak in these formal mm -hmm. environments. So that's one of them. The second is interviews. <laughs> Right, mm -hmm. you getting jobs. Um, those are the sort of like when people think about oral communication, I think they think, oh, you give oral presentations, you do public speaking, and you have interviews. Then there are also the, the, the sort of softer, um, less visible skills. One of is leading class discussion. This is a this is a really discussion intensive environment. We talk about having the speaking intensive requirement, but it's. It is a speaking intensive environment. A liberal arts college demands that you talk to each other. We build knowledge um, discursively. We, we talk mm -hmm. to each other in the classroom. And so there's the leading students being asked to lead class discussion, to, to teach, to do the thing that I do where I ask my students the question and then it's crickets and then you think, okay, what now? Um, to practice for that. But the, the fourth is, I think, really the most interesting to me, which is how do you jump into the conversation? How do you join these intense, sometimes rapid fire, sometimes tense, sometimes um, filled with hilarity, other times like really serious class discussions? How do you how do you do that? How can you prepare to do that? I was someone who never talked in class ever. Um, introverted, shy. You know, but there are many, many different reasons that there are barriers to joining discussions here. And I think we have taken for granted that students would just speak for too long. And so now by making this visible, we've kind of said, what is what are we asking and how are we preparing um, students and each other to to do this? And so that you can make an appointment with a speaking partner to just say, like, it's really freaky to join in my discussion in class. Help. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can talk about that because you're on, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you asked what, uh, what a speaking consultation would look like. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, doing speaking consultations is, is really, it's like Kara said, like it's really similar to, um, writing, writing consultations. And 
doing speaking appointments now, um, it's interesting to see that it's, it feels like, oh, I've already been doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, like students, it's just a little bit more focused and we have just a little bit more room to talk about speaking now. Um, because students come in, like Kara was saying, with, with questions about like, how do I even, I don't know how to speak in that register or, um, you know, like, I don't know how to, if I agree with someone, I feel like saying that I agree, Mm -hmm. right. Like saying that I agree is not worthwhile. So there's all of this thinking that happens about what, what is valuable to say in class and what's not, how Mm -hmm. that, how like rewards work for speaking because it's part of our grades um you know you get kind of like a percentage breakdown of you know this is how much class participation will like count towards your your overall grade for this class um but unlike writing where we usually get like a grade for a specific paper or um maybe some narrative feedback or a discussion of the professor um speaking kind of it's it's the medium by which we do so much of the work here um, and like the stuff about speaking goes unsaid, like how to speak, <laughs> you know, to like how to speak mm-hmm. well, whatever that means, how to speak in the right registers, how to think about what it is you're going to say before you speak, how to think while you're speaking, like all of that stuff just doesn't get talked about, but everyone's thinking about it all the time. And it sort of comes out in writing consultations. It sort of comes out in collaborative academic spaces, but um, like having the dedicated space for it is great. Can you both tell us about how you train partners, writing partners, and then how do you take that into your consultations, uh, what you're learning from your trainings? You want to talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking partner trainings? Mm-hmm. Both. Yeah. Both. Okay. Um, I mean, we have... Okay, I'll, I'll give you a quick overview and then I can talk about yeah. um, what happens in the meetings. But um, for writing partners, um, we have an orientation, like for every, all of the Writing Center stuff, so writing and speaking partners, we have an orientation in early fall before the Writing Center opens. Um, and we sort of get acquainted with the space um, and talk about, you know, what it means to be in a consultation um, and the kind of language that – or. The, the way that we think about writing it starts getting solidified. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have regular um, training meetings over the course of the semester, some for writing partners and some for speaking partners. Um, the speaking partners right now are meeting in a, what are we calling it? Some, uh, we're calling it something. Ad ho- an ad, ad hoc, hoc seminar, seminar. That's every what it Friday. Is. Sorry, yes, an ad hoc seminar. <laughs> um and we meet weekly and we have people come in. Um, so we had a, a theater professor come in recently and talk to us about uh, the physicality of speaking. Um, and she gave us specific techniques to give to students. Um, so many techniques. It was great. It's really cool. I'm usually really uncomfortable with anything theater related. Like I can't even watch student theater. But <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and she talked about like the body and, and breathing and all of that. Um we have had people from the CDO come in and talk to us about interviewing. Um, we have our own discussions about how our consultations are going. Um, and it's also sort of this, like, it's it's top-down, yes, but it's also bottom-up. Um, mm-hmm. I had a consultation recently where, um, and this will happen frequently in writing and speaking consultations, but I will have, like, the notes that I've taken during the meeting um, I'll be like, oh, like, I want to take a picture of this and keep it for, for future uh-huh. use. <laughs> um, and so like that kind of information collecting is happening too. So the, the notes that I took during one of my speaking consultations, I'm going to turn into a, a handout just so that we have it in the writing mm-hmm. center so we can hand it out to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, the, one of the things I observed when we were interviewing speaking partners, and this was, so I have a, there's a steering committee for the grant and it's Travis Brown in the, QSC and Dylan Worcester in the QSC, Jenny Thomas, who's our assistant director of language diversity, and Carolyn Rattery um, from theater, mm-hmm. me, and then also Stephanie Lee Rojas, who's our writing program coordinator. We, When we were interviewing, I don't think students expected six people in the room when they were interviewing, but there we were. When we were interviewing students, we all kind of left the interview saying, these students could build this curriculum. 
You know, they like we can crowdsource this, this, the the amount of ideas and just the 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 real thought that has, as Ahana said, like you we are always thinking about speaking and communicating, bringing it to the surface and and activating it and putting it in conversation. It's it's already there. Um, the other thing that all the students take is English 87. The speaking partners and the writing partners have to take English 87. And that is, I really see it as a kind of rhetoric and social justice class. Mm. It's it's not a course. And I think, and I have to say this at the beginning, like, um, there are going to be fewer tips and strategies that you might want. Instead, I want to change the way you think about reading and speaking and writing and listening. And so we do, we do things with language subordination and language justice and um, translingualism and code meshing and thinking about, you know, really the way um, power and histories of colonialism and, and structural racism and class and gender and all of these things have, have forced people into bodies that, that they, they, they enact things on communicating bodies mm -hmm. and those things sometimes we need to push, we need to push it. We need to see that it's happening and we need to push against it. And so that's part of what that course does. Yeah. I mean, you use the phrase horizon of choice a lot and like expanding horizons of choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's exactly what that course did for me. Um, can you talk to us about, uh, related to what you were just saying, how you sort of navigate the, the different backgrounds that students come into uh, the writing center with. I mean, I'm sure there are there are, there are different amounts of writing people have done in the past. Different, um, you know, people who love it, people who hate it. Um, how do you deal with the the spectrum of of sort of levels of writing ability that 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 you find as as students come in? It's funny that you say the spectrum. Um, one of my favorite theorists talks about the essay. This is not the essay. This is not the five paragraph essay, but the global historical form of the essay. This theorist talks about the essay as ultraviolet light. Um, it's the it's the it's the part of the spectrum that that we can't see that sort of comes into being, or that we we. Um, we think about like the colors of the rainbow that we can see. We think about the the, the light of the prism, um, but there is there are forms of communication that we are always engaged in, and there's a self that we are always trying to express, and there are ways that we've been communicating, and exploring, and navigating the relationship between self and world that are ultraviolet, mm -hmm. and and that that's. That's the spectrum, part of the spectrum that I'm interested in. So I, mm -hmm. so I, I think, and I, and I, and I want to hear how you think about this. I, I really think everyone on this campus has been, as I said before, has been communicating successfully and effectively mm -hmm. in many, many different ways for their whole life. And so my understanding of the writing center is that's a place to say, um, let's start there. Mm -hmm. Let's let's bring out and help you see yourself as as writer, speaker, reader, listener, as all mm -hmm. of those things, and and then work from there. Right? <laughs> She's like, about She's being like I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, question for both of you in the writing process: What do you find more uh, most challenging or in both you of you. To choose. <laughs> <laughs> you can give me a couple. That's, uh, that's quite fine. It's it's like getting to sentences. Mm -hmm. That's the most difficult for me. Um, I think, yeah, because the thinking is fun. The the reading is fun. I mean, it's all fun. Sentences is fun too. But <laughs> um, I think that's the most difficult part for me because um, thinking about lyrics so much when I first started writing um and thinking about just the specific words like people will describe their academic writing as like oh you know you don't really have to think about the word choice but I'm like 
how do you do that? So <laughs> like, <many. laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, even in, in like past no credit reflections, I'll find myself like really just spending more time on them than I should because I'm caught up in, in the work of trying to move my ideas from the form of like bullet points and, and thoughts to like sentence thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, and I'll, this is where the procrastination stuff comes in because I'll, I'll have, there's a very specific sort of, I'll keep, stay awake long enough so that I'm like just tired enough to <laughs> like not be so, um, like inhibited, mm -hmm. but like not so tired that I'm about to like, you know, collapse. <laughs> um, and so it'll be like one, 2 AM. I'll be like, Oh, the only person awake in the world like here I go making sentences <laughs> that's your fuel yeah um but yes sentences is the most difficult part for me someone told me once I think when I was in graduate school that if you look back on all the if you look back on all the papers that you've written you'll discover that you're always writing through your own issues like mm -hmm. no matter what you're always writing through your own issues and so if I look back at the things that I've written on it's it's no accident that I'm interested in wonder because I because I find I find so many things interesting and then I cannot narrow it down. <laughs> um, I've written about originality and the sort of fetishization of originality because of the tremendous anxiety we put, especially on students, when we say "be original." Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Does that mean that you've you know everything that's ever been thought or said in the world, and so you can just say something new? Mm -hmm. So I, and I, so I've, I've written about that, the, 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 the pressure I feel around that term originality. I've also just written about clarity and what it means when we use this metaphor of clarity, hmm. um, and we imagine it happening in a certain way. And that's something that I also, I've, I've been told that I sometimes follow the line of the sentence rather than the line of the idea. Cause I just think the sentence goes off into interesting places and the idea, who knows what's happening to it. <laughs> But really, it's no accident that I've that I've kind of ended up as a as a scholar of the of the essay in its historical and and global form because that is a form that resists um, making a single argument, and I think I've been looking for a way to 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 dwell in this ambiguous, um, deliberative, digressive space. Mm -hmm. And that's not always what your audience needs. Sometimes your audience needs you to make an argument. And that's, I find that, I find coming down on that single argument to be one of the hardest things about writing. Yeah. Now you can go, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Ahana, you're one of the, um, I understand one of the head partners on Essay, uh, mm -hmm. a journal of student writing. Can you tell us a little about that, how that project began? Sure. Um, so I can start with my involvement in it. Yeah. Um, so last year, um, Jenny and Sam, who are wonderful, have now graduated, um, were in charge of essay and they were, you know, the whole staff of the writing center gets asked um, to participate in the process. Um, and I was on board, ready to go mm -hmm. um, because I'd been looking for a place to um, like be involved in a publication on campus. Um, and the it it felt like a natural extension of the work that we were already doing in the writing center as, as writing partners, um, like in consultations, because we talked to, um, the, the writers that are being published in, in our publication. Um, and we talked about, you know, what they wanted their pieces to be, um, how they wanted to, because there's an editing process, like they get selected and then also we edit with them, um, until they're published in the journal. Um, and so thinking through those things and then translating, translating that into like visuals also for the publication, um, was really, really cool. Um, and so sort of as an extension of that into this year, um, and trying to push, push on that a little more, um, my co-editor and I have been thinking about, um, what role we want the publication to play, um, because it's called essay and it's, in the spirit of this sort of like this thing that digresses and, and, you know, is interested in itself and is, is self reflective and self critical. Um, and so we've been thinking about the kind of work that we want to publish and 
what we want to say about the writing process um, and how the publication can be more reflective of, of how we think about writing at the Writing Center. Um, so what that actually means is we're, we're going to be talking a lot more about process in the journal. Um, so instead of just sort of publishing um, what, what we call the final version, right? Like, I don't know, who knows? There, mm-hmm. there may be infinite more, but <laughs> ultraviolet versions that we, yeah. <laughs> that we don't I like see. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead of just publishing one version of the work that they've done, um, we're looking into talking about professor feedback and um, like the emotional and, and practical registers of dealing with that um, and how these people deal with the writing process and go about the writing process. Um, and think about the pieces that they've put in. So something a little bit more expansive than mm-hmm. um, what we've been doing. That's where we want to go. So the work and the context of, of the work. Yeah, and, yeah. and the context being mm-hmm. part of that work too. Yeah. yeah. This is also how it's something that we've changed. Ahana referenced this earlier, but when I when I came here, the hiring process was submit a kind of like, not it was nominations by ID1 professors or other professors and then submit like your best piece of writing. We do neither of those things anymore. Students self-nominate. If you want to come work in the writing center, come work in the writing center. Mm-hmm. Be a speaking partner, be a writing partner. This is my public service announcement. Um, and that it's no longer submit your best piece of writing, but submit any piece of writing. I don't care what it is. It could be a grocery list. And then what I'm interested in is like, how do you think about it? How would you talk about it? How would you, how would you put it in motion? Because mm-hmm. that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Is essay available for uh, public consumption? Yeah, yeah. Oh, where could it exist? Work or, in physical work, form. Work. Yeah, we have uh-huh. hundreds of copies in the writing center. <laughs> okay, I've laid them out in a nice arc on the table. Is it online? Could somebody? Yes. Where, so, and where, where can our listeners go find it? Scholarship at Claremont. Okay, I think. Yeah, Just, on the library website. On the library website. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the, in my notes, I also have that, uh, Kara, you, um, Ahana, you did a, uh, an independent study with Kara about the essay. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know you mentioned it earlier, but, um, the, the, uh, this ultraviolet really fascinates me. <laughs> I thought it was a really fun independent study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, why does it, what, what is it about the essay that fascinates you as opposed to other, other kinds of writing? Yeah, so I didn't actually understand the essay to be ultraviolet and digress, digress, like digressive and, and mm-hmm. um, like full of wonder. Um, like I, that's not what I used the word essay for um, until I was exposed to the scholarship that you recommended to me. Um, and it's really like like learning about the essay from you um is sort of it's been a process of like oh this is the language for what I've kind of been wanting to do because um I had been thinking about like again you know I'm gonna (laughs) but uh, over the course of my relationship with with writing um I had been thinking about um poetry and then like sort of short fiction, um, and eventually landed on, like, what I'm doing now, um, and it feels like, oh, like, this is sort of, again, like, what I've been doing all along, Mm -hmm. um, like, the kind of narration, so I'm gonna get specific for a second, because it's a thing that I've been thinking about, but, um, (laughs) I've been talking about description and narration, um, And there's a tension with that also because sometimes the things that I'm describing um, can be... So if I'm talking about a nice sunset in India, right, if somebody... There's an anxiety that I have that somebody who reads it will say, like, oh, how exotic, like, how how exciting and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, have that sort of gaze. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a tension always between um, narrative description and lyric description and... Um, like explaining yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the essay is sort of a, is, is the perfect form to deal with those anxieties. Mm. 
and I say anxieties, but they're also, I mean, they're, they're real concerns and, and things that I have to think through by writing. Um, and the essay allows for that kind of, for both things to happen at once. Um, yeah. Um, Kara. Uh, we've been talking about mentoring and and uh, especially and how what it looks like um, in the writing center. Um, how, who were some of your mentors, and what did you learn from them, or did not learn from them? How did, did, were there any of those experiences that shaped you that now you're uh, practicing as head of the writing center? You know it. Uh, This is going to sound really goofy, but <laughs> it's, I don't have as, as many, um, like top down mentors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been teaching in one form or another for 18 years now. And I, I learned from my students, mm -hmm. um, doing this work with students, really learning to listen to students, yeah. really learning to listen to students has been a kind of diffuse mentoring process mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. being in these situations and always, this the recursive process, always thinking about them, recalibrating, that has been, I mean, how does one even say like the collective body of my students have been my mentor, but they have. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I do have, I have mentors that I didn't really understand that I had at the time. Like I, Andrea, Andrea Lunsford was a, is, um, uh, was the director of the program in writing and rhetoric at Stanford when I was in graduate school and was a, a professor there of, of, um, feminist, rhetoric and feminist classical women's women's um, classical rhetoric and I think when I had her as a teacher I wasn't quite ready to be mentored by her but there's a delay which is interesting I think this is what happens for all of us now when I look back I think oh I learned so much from her that I didn't know I was learning at the time mm -hmm. um The same goes for my for that plant biology teacher mm -hmm. that at the time I didn't quite see what was happening to me. Yeah. And I find myself going back to that and thinking, oh, oh, now I now I get it. Now I can tell the rest of that story that I didn't couldn't have told at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, Hannah, obviously, Kara has been an important mentor for you. But are there other mentors that have been important in your time here at Pomona? peers, um, faculty, staff? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about mentoring, um, because it's, again, it's the sort of process where it's like, oh, I didn't realize how much I was really, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the teachers here that I've had, um, it's interesting that you say peers, because I think that, um, like the intentional relationships that I have with, with my friends, my closest friends, um, are like, do the work of mentoring. Mm -hmm. Um, like they make me grow in, like, I'm thinking of, um, Deborah, who's in 87. <laughs> um, we're sort of constantly like in this, we, we, we're both like sentimental people. Um, and so we're constantly sort of thinking about, um, how we've been moving, um, over the time that we've known each other. Um, and we talk about that a lot and, and we talk about each other a lot and we talk about ourselves a lot. Um, and so that does the work of, of mentoring. I think a lot of it, um, and the friends that I've had, I was very lucky to have really, really good friends in high school. Um, and we're still in touch. And so talking to them also like does that same kind of, it's, this is, We wish each other on Mother's Day <laughs> because it's like, thank you, my moms. <laughs> But it's really those kinds of relationships that are most valuable to me. But also like other relationships that I wouldn't have expected to be so impactful. But um, I started taking piano lessons at Pomona. Like I'd never really taken music lessons. Well, 
um, instrument lessons before. Um, and I was like, well, they're free, might as well. Um, <laughs> and just because I think we like, so my professor is Aaron Calais, um, and just because we like get along as people and also because he's, it's been since my first semester here, mm-hmm. um, like first semester freshman year, um, it's just turned into like this great half hour that I get to have every week. Um, and we do piano, of course, but we also end up talking about a lot of other things. And, mm-hmm. and so like mentorship pops up sort of everywhere. Mm-hmm. And finally, any advice you have for students and their writing or interested in writing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, the, the, there's no, there's no easy way to, to say like, here's my mm-hmm. advice for, for writers. There's, there are a lot of, there's an industry of, of publications about, you know, advice for writers, but I really think it's important to, it's, it seems to me important to look at the ways that you are already a writer. Mm-hmm. It's hard mm-hmm. to see, Yeah, find someone who can help you see that. I can do it. We can do it. That, and then, and then all of a sudden isn't like, oh, I have to cross some kind of like really scary suspension bridge with alligators underneath to get to be a writer. It's like, oh, no, I mm-hmm. am one. Mm-hmm. I just want to write in different ways. I want to write in other ways. Um, and that, that's, I think that's what I would say. In fact, I just said. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Our thanks to Ahana uh, Ganguly. Class of 2021, and Kara Whitman. Thank you both. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. And to all who stuck with us this far, thanks for listening to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. Until next time.